My name is Stuart Thompson, and I'm your regular host. Now, a while ago, I did a feature-length podcast, which I entitled The Pilot's Episode. If you haven't listened to this already, I recommend that you go ahead and do so, as I think it is definitely worth a list, and I have a very interesting guest. On this episode, I described who I was and what information was, However, if you haven't got the time, I would like to just take a minute to discuss what is infinite information and the current state of affairs. So as of recording this right now, at least the UK is anyway, is exiting the pandemic. Prior to that and during the lockdown, and aside from recording the previous podcast, I took the time of beginning writing scientific articles, and in particular, relating to my specialities of chemistry and chemical education. I also have interests in physical cosmology and more or less trying to understand where exactly where we come from. I often like to ask questions and philosophize. Indeed, that will be the topic of this first episode. I have had something burning on my mind for quite a few months now, and during my reading during the pandemic, I would like to give you a short story as to where we are scientifically, very briefly of course, and talk about the current state of affairs with internal policies within the UK. The key elements of this podcast will therefore be endeavour, personality, creativity, and of course that hot potato, politics. Let's take a trip down memory lane. In 1665, and very topically, the UK was in the middle of an epidemic. This epidemic was the bubonic plague. And indeed, many people lost their lives. At the time, London, believe it or not, was actually locked down. Although at the time, I don't believe they declared it being a lockdown, but essentially the same thing happened as we ha- happened in this country a year ago. As London was locked down in 1665, a young lad, the age of 23 years old, named Isaac Newton, was studying at Cambridge University and was sent back to his farm in Lincolnshire During this time, Isaac Newton began work on gravity, calculus, and optics, and formed the basis of more or less what we know that what we now know as classical mechanics. It was also during this time that Baroque music was very popular. Thank you. 
more than two centuries, we used Sir Isaac Newton's work. Indeed, it was poetry in motion. However, at the turn of the 20th century in 1905, the golden age of physics was about to begin. Another physicist by the name of Albert Einstein revolutionized physics. Indeed, in 1905, Albert Einstein wrote a paper on special relativity, which is largely, um, special relativity is basically more or less a way of describing the mechanics of particles moving at the speed of light. Then later, a decade later, well, a decade later, he then uh, released a paper on general relativity, which describes how light interacts with gravity. This blew classical and Newtonian mechanics out of the water. And indeed, it is still a popular method of describing how the universe works today. Popular music at the time of this findings were typically blues or gospel music. first humans to walk on the moon. Aside from jumping around in a low gravity environment, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin fetched back moon rocks and materials which we could study. During the 60s, of course, it was renowned for the swinging 60s, we had many artists, including folk artists such as Donovan and Bob Dylan, and of course the Beatles. Not to mention in the 60s as well, in 1966, England won the World Cup.
few decades later, in 1986, NASA had planned a Challenger shuttle mission. On board, there were seven astronauts. These were Francis R. Scooby, Michael J. Smith, Ronald McNair, Ellison Onisuka, Judith Resnick, Gregory Jarvis, and Krista McAuliffe. The latter two had astronautical training, but they were also citizens and normal civilians like you and me. I do believe Gregory Jarvis was an engineer, and I do believe Krista McAuliffe was scheduled to give the first teaching lesson in outer space. However, had these seven astronauts known what was about to happen in 72 seconds time after taking off, I doubt they would have ever boarded the shuttle. And liftoff. Liftoff. Oh, the in. space shuttle mission, and it has cleared the tower. Challenger going into its roll. That's planned. Good roll program. Spiral away from pad 39B. The first use of pad 39B since the old Apollo days and the Skylab missions. It's chilly in Florida. Icicles formed on the pad overnight. NASA engine engineers were concerned that they might have broken off during the launch and affected the throttle, fragile uh, heat protection tiles that protect the shuttle on its way back in during re-entry. We'll throttle down to uh, 65% shortly. Don't know what the effect might be just yet. The astronauts will take a look later on during the mission. Engines at 65%, three engines uh, running normally, three good fuel cells, three good APUs. APUs, the auxiliary power units. 2257 feet per second. Altitude 4.3 nautical miles, downrange distance 3 nautical miles. It's always amazing to hear how quickly the shuttle moves. It's already more than 4 miles downwind as we just Engine heard. throttling up, 3 engines now at 104%. Challenger, go and throttle up. Challenger, go and throttle up. The shuttle mission will launch, my god. 1 minute 15 There's seconds. been an explosion. Velocity 2900 feet per second, altitude 9 nautical miles, downrange distance 7 nautical miles. This is not standard. This is not something that is planned, of course. I can see a 72 seconds after taking off, an accident happened. The fuse loss of the vessel completely collapsed and disintegrated, and this led to an explosion. None of the astronauts survived. Space Center, perhaps, the shuttle engines are not enough to power the shuttle back down, it would have to shut down. looking very carefully at the situation. Obviously a major malfunction. I hope they were able to survive. I hope the astronauts We have no downlink. We have absolutely no sign at all of the shuttle itself. All we saw was that one explosion only about a minute into the flight. And we saw the solid rocket booster. Now here's something coming down. I don't know what that is. I don't think that that's the shuttle. I believe that's a piece of debris that's coming back earthbound. I don't know. It's too small for the shuttle itself. Pieces falling out of the sky. Following on from this, a federal investigation was launched against NASA. This was under the Ronald Reagan administration. In a nutshell, it was found that NASA were responsible for the disaster due to bad decision making. This set back space travel many a decade. And we hear from launch control, the vehicle has exploded. That's the orbiter itself, the shuttle Challenger has exploded. We must assume that the crew is not alive. This is unheralded in the history of the space program. Ladies and gentlemen, I have covered the space shuttle launches uh, since the very first launch, since before the first launch itself, uh, going way back. And uh, nothing like this has ever happened. Of course, there was the Apollo fire on the ground at the Kennedy Space Center, the Apollo 1 fire that killed three astronauts during a test run back in the 60s. But the shuttle program itself, to this time, has been untouched by She came from Greece, she had a thirst for knowledge. She studied
The dawn of the 90s saw a new hope. <clears throat> it would have appeared that the neoliberal regime of Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher had came to an end. In the UK alone, the common people finally felt that they had a voice, and in doing so, they elected a politician that they believed represented them. His name was Tony Blair. And does anyone remember him saying this? Ask me my three main priorities for government. And I tell you, education, education, and education. <laughs> yeah. we will, you will come back to that later on, don't worry. We'll talk about that. But I certainly do remember him saying that. The 90s also saw some of the most amazing music being recorded in the UK alone. From Oasis, Blur, Pulp. I can't see anyone else smiling. Are you sure? You wanna live like common people. You wanna see whatever common people see. Wanna sleep with common people. You wanna sleep with common people like me. But she didn't understand. And she just smiled and held my hand. I went to flash a bulbous shop. I cut your hair and get a job. I smoked some facts and play some pool. Pretend you never went to school. But still, you'll never get it right. It's when you're Bringing this up to now, in 2021, at least in my opinion anyway, chart music appears to be somewhat stagnant. In fact, I'm not even going to bore you with some really, I'm going to let the previous song continue. From my perspective as well, I also think creativity and personality has now become stifled. The working people now have elected a new government. And indeed, with that comes a new Prime Minister. And indeed, his name is Boris Johnson. And does anyone listening to this remember him saying this earlier this year? To build back better, and to build back bolder. brings us up to today. So many of you listening right now may be saying, Stuart, what the heck have you brought up several random things from random times in the past for? Well, there is a perfectly good reason, and indeed I have been thinking about this a lot lately. I believe between 1997 to 2021, nothing has really changed in innovation. And along with that, pop culture and creativity has somewhat decreased. And I do believe that with innovation, the two seem to parallel quite nicely. Let's magnify what I've just talked about right briefly. Let me explain myself a bit more. 
So Isaac Newton, during a lockdown, and I must stress during a lockdown, began his foundational work on gravity. At the time, there was not a single law that could unify local gravity, for example, dropping an apple onto the floor, with that of the celestial motion of the moon. But it was during this time when Isaac Newton was sat outside in his garden that he began to ponder whether or not there was a, a universal law that could link the two. And indeed, there was. From that, and indeed during his lockdown studies, he had to develop a new type of mathematics called calculus. Calculus essentially is the measurement of change over time. Isaac Newton, during the lockdown too, also had an interest in optics. He was interested in what white light was made out of. At the time, many people believed that colour from objects was a property of the object it had, the light had reflected from, whereas Isaac Newton questioned this. And indeed he was correct. He did his infamous prism experiments to split light, and indeed a spectrum of colours was revealed. I also figured, being a cat lover myself as well, I should mention that during this time as well, well I, to, I believe during this time anyway, Isaac Newton also invented the cat flap. I can often imagine a cat annoying him during his optics experiment or something, and him sort of chiseling out a hole in his little, I, I don't know, some sort of egg shed hut or something in, in his farm, and putting a cloth over it to let the cat out. <laughs> now... These theories took incredible imagination for someone to make these leaps of faith. And indeed for Isaac Newton it wasn't until at least another, I think I do believe, 10 to 12 years before this, this work was released in book form. However, I also believe the work of Albert Einstein I mentioned briefly in 1905 to be very inspirational too. And this guy was also quite the character too. For example, General Relativity, which I mentioned was released in 1915, dealt with the motion, dealt with well, Newtonian, the, the flaws of Newtonian gra gravity, and treated gravity not like a force, but rather something that permeated across the entirety of the universe. And again, to the physical community, this was completely absurd. General relativity at the time also predicted the existence of black holes. A mysterious object that would fly through the universe with an infinite gravitational pull. Again, this was just absurd in the physics community and he was ridiculed and laughed at. It also predicted gravitational lensing too. So the fact that light interact with gravity and planets or planetary bodies, such as you know, galaxies themselves and black holes themselves, can diffract light in such a way that to the telescopic observer, it appears at two places at once. Again, this was completely absurd at the time. But nevertheless, Einstein held true to his word. It wasn't until later, and I think, I believe, after Einstein's lifetime, that we proved him correct. It wasn't until later until we discovered the black hole. And there are still, indeed, many other things about general relativity we don't know. For example, it predicted white holes. The opposite of a black hole. Something that ejects matter at the speed of light. It also predicted wormholes. Two black holes linked by an Einstein-Rosen bridge, connected through space. We haven't discovered them yet, but based on the fact, you know, how accurate general relativity has been so far, there's always hope. And indeed, hope is a very wonderful thing and must be cherished and held on to. In 1969, as I mentioned, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin brought materials back from the moon. Some of these were materials we'd never ever seen before on Earth. For example, one of them my friend told me about a long time ago in the pub was Teflon, which was discovered on the moon. And we now use this in frying pans as a non-stick agent. 
The tragedy of 1986 was indeed incredibly unfortunate. However, I don't believe the seven astronauts that are on board would want to see science stagnate. It would have meant for a wasted life. Being an astronaut, of course, is dangerous. You require a certain physique. But not only that, you require a certain intelligence too. And above all, they wanted to serve humanity. Indeed, NASA's research after that somewhat stagnated. For instance, during that time, we were living under the neoliberal regime of Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher. And yet, in 1997, we were given new hope. Or at least so it would seem at the time. The rhetoric, education, education, education. Indeed, I was very excited myself, in particular, the idea of going to university. You know, I wasn't a rich person. Typically, under a conservative regime, you had to be a rich person to get into university. But I, I was always curious myself. I remember growing up as a child, I'd always lie in bed and I'd often ask myself the question, why are we here? Indeed, it was always often a funny topic that would come up in school, you know, people were playing outside or something like that or whatnot, and I'd often ask my friends, you know, why are we here? And people just were somewhat carefree. During the pandemic, I mentioned I decided to retrain. In fact, I took the advice of the Chancellor, Rishi Sunak at the time, who said to retrain. And indeed, I love science and I don't want to see my degrees being wasted. So I decided to retrain as a writer and follow in my mum's footsteps. I, of course, don't want to see science not doing very well. I want to see innovation. I want to see creativity. I want to see... I want to see it flourish. I want to understand why we are here. I want to see people prosper because of this. And yet I can't help feel that we are. And I can't help feel that creativity is stifled too. For example, we live in a divide. It's considered very middle class to be able to go to university. To be able to come out and have a somewhat higher paying job than say someone who maybe chose not to go to university. However, at the end of the day, we need each other. I've always seen it as being a scientist to serve humanity. To increase our understanding of say something technological. Indeed, my PhD was something technological. And indeed, that to filter through society too. So this creates opportunities for other people to go out and do stuff with that, create jobs. The commonality between Isaac Newton and Albert Einstein was that they were creative and they were right. They had their own personalities. Isaac Newton, for example, was. Ooh, a very eccentric, <coughs> excuse me, a very eccentric person in his latter life when he got into alchemy. Some people say he lost his mind a little bit. He probably did, or it could be into the mercury that he was handling at the time. Albert Einstein was a very thoughtful man. He used to play violin a lot. He could do a lot of walks to think about things. Uh, he was often renowned as well for smoking a pipe and not wearing socks. Claimed to simply just not like socks. And yet, do you, the listener, would you think if, say, an Isaac Newton, someone that looked like Isaac Newton and behaved like Isaac Newton, went in for a job coming out of university in this modern day and age, would get accepted in a job interview? I don't think he would. Do you think Albert Einstein with a crazy haircut, 
not wearing socks and having a pipe in one hand, given his expertise and skills, much like Isaac Newton. Do you think if he went for a job in this day and age that he'd be accepted? I don't. And yet these two had some of the most marvellous minds I can imagine in science. And yes, on a little detour, I'm not saying that we haven't been very innovative. In fact, I'm sure the scientists listen to this now, you know, we have had ideas that have been very imaginative. For example, in unifying general relativity with quantum mechanics at the turn of the 20th century, we've had some incredible ideas such as loop quantum cosmology, which predicts at the end of the day an ever-expanding and collapsing universe leading to a big bounce in iterations. We also have string theory, which predicts there being many universes, and indeed the possibility of this even being a holographic universe. However, it doesn't receive the mainstream attention that it deserves, does it? I always wonder what Tony Blair's statement of education, education, education. How do you get innovation from that when, at least in the UK alone, depending on where you're listening to this, we send school children to school in uniforms, more or less implying to be like everybody else and don't develop a personality. And yet for the lucky few who can, can afford university education, they're then expected to come out of that getting a job and be innovative for a company that solves the problems of tomorrow but has to wear a suit and tie for work. Now how can you be innovative if you feel the same as everybody else? I want science to do well. I love science. I love talking about it. I love writing about it. I want to be a journalist of science. I love educating people in my own style. But yes, it doesn't receive the mainstream media it deserves. And I think it's been hindered because of this culture we live in at the minute. I feel so strongly about this that I had a conversation last week with a very good friend of mine who will remain nameless to protect his identity. That as of last week, I wrote the government a letter about innovation in UK universities. And this was in relation to Boris Johnson's levelling up speech that he gave and the idea of building back better. I just found the letter for you, I'll read it out. <clears throat> this is to the, the Right Honourable Michelle Donlan, who I believe is Minister Minister for State for Education, or Further Education. Not not quite Secretary of State, but I, I am aware that she, she attends Cabinet. And uh, the letter I, I wrote reads as follows. Dear Michelle, regarding levelling up UK universities. In July of this year, the Prime Minister gave his levelling up vision to the UK as a means of a post-COVID-19 economic recovery plan. Not only that, but the levelling up vision also served as a broader vision for a post-Brexit UK. During this speech, the Prime Minister said the following statements. Take university entrance. If you're a child on free school meals in London today, you now have more than double the chance of going to university than a child on free school meals growing up outside London. But it is in post-16 education, post-16, where the differences across our society are starkest. It cannot be right that Bath has 78% of its population with a level 3 or equivalent qualification, 
Bradford has only 42%. And that's why this government is so obsessed. Uh, the Chancellor, everybody, uh, Rob Jenrick, we are all obsessed with skilling up our population. We love our universities. We believe they're one of the great glories of this country. But we need to escalate the value of practical and vocational education with its power to transform people's lives. I then continue. Being fortunate enough to attend UK, <clears throat> sorry, being fortunate enough to attend university on three occasions, I agree with the statement. With hardworking researchers and academic teachers, British universities provide cutting edge innovation while sharing the knowledge and expertise to future generations of all walks of life. Historically, this has always been the case and thus should forever be protected as sacrosanct. Not only that, universities offer students and staff a means of broadening horizons and minds, thus further sti stimulating this incredible process. However, over the last two decades, the UK has witnessed an increase in stu student fees in order to attend any UK university. This has led to an alienation of poorer students with high potential unable to afford attending a UK university. Additionally, austerity has also meant that less government funding has been made available to UK universities to provide the basis for innovation and teaching. Together in synergy, a non-productive competitive nature has now transpired within UK university communities. UK universities now compete to attract students in order to provide academic posts for high quality innovative research and teaching. This has also meant higher performing universities are more likely to acquire government funding as opposed to struggling universities. This process, this process is iterative, further increasing the gap between geographically separated universities. For instance, universities such as Oxford, Cambridge and Imperial College continuously thrive as opposed to other UK universities which struggle. This has led to universities such as Sheffield and Leicester having to cut their losses and release academic talent to cope with this competitive geographical divide. Whilst I agree with the Prime Minister's statement above, I find the remainder of this vision a little vague when tackling this problem. Whilst I appreciate the promise of more investment into research and development has been made, I would like some clarity and have the following questions. Number one, how does the government plan to distribute this investment equally across all parts of the UK, thus ensuring a fairer UK university community? Number two, so that tomorrow's aspiring innovators from all parts of the UK are able to attend a university should they wish to do so, how does the government plan on solving this dilemma of increased tuition fees? University is about innovation. From personal experience, excellence and innovation can be derived from a fairer cross-community collaboration and not competition. Therefore, levelling up must encompass a fairer UK-wide university community with each university playing to their own strengths thus stimulating engaging collaboration. Competition will only lead to universities actively seeking skill sets they feel appropriate in order to survive each year, as opposed to internally developing talent, providing uniqueness and individuality that should be associated with each geographically separated UK university. Additionally, university is also about personal development. With affordable backing from the state, I was incredibly fortunate to attend two differing UK universities, and indeed, I am thankful. I was able to meet and converse with people from all around the world and from all walks of life. This broadened my horizons. However, austerity and higher rate tuition fees may stagnate the next potential generation of innovators, leading to yet another forgotten generation. Therefore, levelling up should also encompass encompass fairer, lower tuition fees, or indeed abolishing tuition fees altogether, to allow less fortunate potential innovators of tomorrow attend and together learn in synergy with a UK-wide, fairer, collaborative academic community. I thank you for your time in considering my questions during such a busy schedule, and I will look forward to hearing your response in due course. Yours sincerely, Stuart Thompson.
I've written to the government on many times, actually during the uh, pandemic, the MIMP and council, councillors. Government departments typically take a bit longer, but maybe in a future episode, I would perhaps read the response that I will get to my questions. To end on a very positive note, during such a serious subject, and I didn't think it'd be this serious for my first episode, but it has been burning on my mind quite a lot this week. Given the fact that Newton came up with his works through his personality and his creativity and his inquisitive mind and imagination, which indeed as human beings we all have, and it must be cherished and of course developed, not quenched by a neoliberal society, I hope that after the pandemic, I'm much of the World Health Organization are going to declare it over or whatnot, but I hope in years to come, someone or some people out there have come up with a new theory to, I don't know, even modify Einstein's equations, perhaps even blow Einstein out of the water himself, much like he did with Newton at the turn of the century. This may take several years to find out if this has happened. But I hope somewhere out there someone has made the foundational work to take us further forward. And indeed, I really hope it's something that I will be reporting on my podcast and talking about. But I also hope as a wider community too, and as people, not just middle class segregates and working class segregates that we work together too, The 1986 mission that was a disaster was a very romantic idea actually by NASA to be able to allow civilians go into outer space. Indeed, it should always be that way, if you're physically up to it, of course. I mean, I wouldn't. I mean, I, I'm, I'm really stick-thin, but uh, <laughs> I will admire from afar. But And I really think this mission, although tragic... also could be learnt from in a way I don't believe the seven I know I've mentioned this would want to be remembered in that way or would want science to be stagnated in such a way astronauts do indeed know the risks of space it is indeed dangerous but indeed it is that inquisitive imagination and those questions that keep the passion burning in a scientist's heart I don't like the fact that space travel now is dominated by people like Richard Branson and other entrepreneurs. It shouldn't be the fact that entrepreneurs are out there doing all this stuff when civilians who could be up there doing stuff or anyone from any walk of life be up there doing stuff. And that's why I believe that, you know, I'm sending this letter. I believe in questioning. We should question the government. For example, NASA is a federal federally backed um, organisation in America well you know Britain perhaps could invest more into you know sorting out the current UK university issue that we have right now or I don't know perhaps even developing its own space community I know we have one but uh, I know it needs a facelift but above all if you're listening I believe that you should just hold on to your imagination and you shouldn't let it be quenched by a community that says otherwise you shouldn't listen to cancel culture. If you have an opinion, you should go out there and freely express it. And free speech should be met by free speech, not cancelled. To end on a positive note, I would like to play you out a song. Don't worry, not a song by myself. Although you probably have heard guitar splices for myself, indeed. Indeed, I, I enjoy expressing myself through an instrument. Very aptly, this song... The guitar parts of this song was played by a scientist in particular. <laughs> and the song was also released in 1986. It was also during 
or the latter end of 1986, um, when my mum brought me into this world. And uh, this song in particular um, makes me feel good in the inside. In particular, the guitar player is, of course, Brian May. And uh, Brian May himself is also a scientist and a very good one at that. And also, I think just over a decade ago, I think he got his PhD recently as well, and he's an astronomer. And I want you to just think about this song. I want you to think about how you can ask questions like Brian May. You can research, you can ask questions. And at the same time, you can also be creative as well and be able to express yourself and not have a society judge you one way or another. Anyway, I would like to outplay you with the song. Before I do, I'll just quickly say goodbye. Um, so thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. I, I hope to do more on a regular basis. And if you want to engage with me, of course, I'd be more than happy to debate. So perhaps perhaps you disagree with me. Again, I strongly encourage you to get in touch with me because I would love to have an active conversation on this. Perhaps you agree with me. Perhaps you agree with my points. I'd like to express your own opinions and experiences. Or perhaps you don't think I go far enough. Maybe you think I, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not, you know, going far enough at all on that on the topics we talked about tonight. If you want to get in touch with me, my Twitter handle is at spread purple, so it's all one word. And anyway, as a parting song, I would like to give you Queen and It's a Kind of Magic. I'll see you around, guys. It's a kind of magic. It's a kind of magic, a kind of magic. One dream, one soul, one prize, one gold, one golden glance of what should be. It's a kind of magic. One shot.
Magic. Magic. Magic.